Morning. It's July. What are you doing here in July? You ever ask, actually, there's probably some kid in here going, yeah, what are we doing here in July? I actually like being here in the summer, particularly, um, but I didn't always. Uh, I was raised uh, in Richardson, actually, went to church my whole life, um, and summer was a huge deal for me for main, one main reason, no school. It was a huge thing for me, great freedom. And I can remember, I must have been about nine or 10, <clears throat> and it was the Sunday after school let out, and my mom came in to wake me up to go to church. And I had a, some sort of a stroke or something because I said, wait, it's, it's summer. We don't go to church in the summer. You know, like I had, first of all, like I hadn't been brought to church three times a week for my entire life, I just suddenly forgot. Like, do we do that? Yeah, yeah, we do that, even during the summer. See, I'd mixed up, I'd mixed up church with school. So I thought, you get a break from school, you should get a break from church. Turns out that mixing up what we're doing here and sort of what is church, it ain't that unusual. I remember 20 years later, I was part of a thing called Evangelism Explosion. I don't know if you know what that is, but that was a, a way of going and sharing our testimony, and we'd go out on visitation on Monday nights. That was a thing a long time ago. There were, uh, houses back then had front doors, and people came in, and you said hello. It was like a thing, like a face-to-face -face greeting. And, um, and we would share, uh, we would ask people about their faith. And uh, I remember this one guy who uh, said, uh, oh, no, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I said, well, that's great. He sa I said, tell me about that. And he said, well, I was saved in a Baptist church when I was seven. And I said, well, it's great. Where do you go to church? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. I, I don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. And, and actually, I was a little stumped uh, because uh, the answer to when I was nine was my mom and dad said, well, you have to go because that's what we do. I couldn't tell this guy, yeah, my mom and dad said you have to go. That wouldn't really, <laughs> I don't think it would fly. But he had mixed up church, not for school like I did. He thought church was this thing that you can't obligate me to do. It's not necessary for my salvation. A recent survey just this week said that 58% of Americans believe that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. And only 30% of those who were in, uh, asked disagreed. See, they have mixed up church with personal fulfillment. This is a place that, hey, if I go there to listen to a sermon or sing a song, if I can stream that in, that's, that's just the same thing, right? Uh, and with my family, that's a good thing. That's a common way that people think about what church is, or to be specific, get kind of confused. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a church that is also confused about church. If you have your Bible, if you'd look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in the 12th verse, Paul is addressing a church that is kind of confused. Corinth was a shipping town. It was, uh, it was kind of like New York and Vegas mixed together. Uh, ancient times actually kind of said uh, if a girl, if a woman is a prostitute, she was a Corinthian girl. It was that kind of 
of uh, ethos, and that culture influenced people, including the church, and then Paul tended to spend a lot of time herding Christians into away from false ideas of what we're doing here. Some, for example, thought that uh, the church was divided into teams. I was on the Apollos team. Well, I'm on the, on the uh, Cephas team. And then there's always the, well, we're on Jesus' team, which trumps your team, and, you know, all this kind of division and stuff. Some thought the church was a place of tolerance. If I know that this guy actually is having an affair with his father's wife, not our business, right? I mean, hey, we don't, we don't want to get into that. Ironically, other people thought it was a place of extreme intolerance. Apparently, this letter is the second letter Paul wrote to Corinth. The first one, he said, don't associate with adulterers and idolaters and so forth, meaning Christians who, or people who said, I am Christian, but follow along in those ways. And some people misread his letter and thought he meant, oh, we shouldn't have anything to do with anyone that is sinful outside or inside the church, which is going to make you a very lonely person, by the way, since uh, you can't find someone that is not. And then ironically, lastly, some people thought it was a social club for the rich. This is a place where you eat a bunch, you can get drunk, didn't even notice that poor guy over didn't have anything. It's kind of just a place to be. They mixed up what church is, and just like the Corinthians, we get confused about church. And what often confuses us is the kind of culture that we're in. Cultures, this, I got this from David Brooks, uh, the New York Times colonist, wrote a book called The Second Mountain. And they tend, cultures give us a moral ecology, sort of this collective answer to who are we and what should we be about. Um, and the church is often influenced by this. When I mixed up the church in school, that was 50 years ago. <clears throat> it was just over there in Richardson, but it was 50 years ago, which was kind of a, a far, uh, far place from where we are now. See, back then, this uh, America church was kind of a thing that you did. We were about institutions. We had just sort of won the war, and, and we, we were and, and institutions and uh, commitment to uh, a group was uh, just part of being a good American. My, my parents were strong believers and went because they felt called in the Spirit. But I knew a bunch of people that went. There was a time when if you, uh, if you wanted to just look like an upstanding American, you'd say, well, that's a church-going American, which means not necessarily everyone that was there understood why they were there. It was an institution. It emphasized duty and conforming to the group. Now, unless the old people like me in the crowd start amening, yeah, those were the good old days, I have to remind you that that kind of a culture that is about us has a tendency to be oppressive. Us was always said with a wink. Well, we don't mean us, of course. There was racism. Ironically, a nation that had rescued Jews out of uh, persecution still had a lot of anti-Semitism. There was a lot of oppression of women. There was sexism. It was kind of a thing that you did. And possibly because of that and other things, the generation after that, starting my whole lifetime from the 60s on, kind of pushed back against that. More and more, there was a desire for authenticity, an authentic self. It's not just that you have to give yourself to some, slavishly to some organization. You need to be yourself. Knowing yourself was important. Individual freedom, autonomy, and authenticity. And this did increase 
uh, helped to reduce things like racism and oppression. But it did also trickle into the church. More and more churches in the last decades have said, you know, really, this place is to serve you. We're here, come and grow here. We got a great, fun place for your kids, and, and most of all, you can become the person you're meant to be. We sold Christian marriage for decades as that's the way that you will be personally fulfilled in your life if you follow God's plan for marriage. Uh, by the way, as a psychologist who works often with marriages, I feel a little bit like a, a, a car repairman when people come in and go, okay, this is a lemon. This is not working. I was told if I did these things, I would be happy. What in the world? And, and I'm kind of like that guy going, yeah, actually, uh, back in the 80s when they put that part in, they didn't work. It doesn't hold up. People don't get their full, complete fulfillment out of following uh, the certain things that the church told them they should do. So there's an increasing desire to be myself, and shouldn't this place be serving myself? The problem now is that, as many of you know, that has gone to an extreme that I don't think we've ever seen before. We live in a culture now where self defines everything. The self-defining self, who am I? What should I call myself? What is the name of my inner thoughts, my feelings, my desires? And the path to flourishing is sold as you should know yourself and have the courage to express yourself to the culture around you. And as a psychologist, I can tell you what the side effect of this is. It's a pandemic of loneliness like I have never seen before. There's more isolation in our young people and our older folks, by the way, than I've seen in 30 years of my practice. Turns out being authentically you, getting to know you, being courageous about you is a very lonely activity. And the freedom from having to be burdened by what other people around me say I should be mean that uh, we don't really have a lot to do with each other anymore. And these uh, tend to be the kind of influences that uh, work into confusion about the church. And this is what the Apostle Paul talks to us about in 1 Corinthians 12. And he gives a surprising answer. Is this an institution that we should all just kind of have to conform to? Or is this a kind of a spiritual gym that's going to, I'm going to work out and be, which, which is it? And Paul gives a very different answer. The Spirit of Christ in the Scripture answers differently. He summarizes it. Look at verse 27, chapter 12, verse 27. He says this, and this, is, this drops hugely into this uh, dichotomy. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's why you're here. That's what we are. The body of Christ and I think that message is particularly important for us to explore because it's a message of unity, but more importantly, of intimacy, of real connection. It's why we do so much of what we do here on Sundays. It's why we're about to partake of a meal together to drink this in. Our Savior is that intimate with us, and our constant communion with Him is that important to us that that intimacy is, a, is a essential for Christian life. And yet, we also are here as a body. And Paul expounds on that. This understanding of the church is particularly needed now. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Christians have been baptized into the life of Christ. As you know, a, a, a Christian life is a commitment that puts to death my self-life and living, hopefully, as much as I can for the, in, in Jesus. That's our life. And we drink and are sustained by the Spirit of Christ. That little voice that you hope is somewhere in your heart guiding you as to what does Jesus say? What does he want from me? Because it has to oppose a very different voice in your head that we'll talk about in just a minute. But uh, at this point, the cultural extremes then that we're offered, are we about social conformity? Are we about individual uh, liberation? Paul reminds us of a triangulation point. What about Jesus? The spirit of Christ in every Christian. What about his life? And we find ourselves in his life and in his uh, work. Christians are not about self or group. We are a body, and a particular body of Christ. Jesus as much as said this in John 17. He's giving his prayer, and he said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Listen to this. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Intimacy with Christ brings unity in the body. So then when you get here, what causes division? How come we don't always work together? Well, the other thing I like about this passage is this is where Paul gets really to the root of it. Because the core of what really tends to divide us is basically sin. But sin, I don't mean your sins, I mean your sin nature. And if you're like most of us, you don't wake up feeling your sin nature. I don't feel sinful today. So what is that? You can feel it because the core of sin is that part of us that has uh, been fallen into this natural way of thinking as if you're a God, making your own decisions about stuff. What do I think about these things? That's so natural for us that that core uh, uh, kind of way of thinking uh, carries with it two common experiences that's, that you can feel it. The first is shame. The fr- it's that voice when you come here that says, yeah, I don't, I don't think I belong here. And you felt it. People come here and think, this seems to be a, a church full of kind of healthy, happy families. And, and my kid is off the rails, or I'm divorced, or I'm not married, or whatever. Whatever thing, this seems to be a church of so, a certain amount of social, uh, in, social class and income, and I don't fit. All those kind of things that say, I don't belong. I find it interesting, frankly, as a psychologist, having worked with a lot of Christians for 30 years, that people still look at involved and active Christian families and think, man, they have got it all together. They do not. Let me just tell you, from having listened and had the privilege of getting into the heads of Christians for years, they don't. Whatever you think they've got, they don't feel it at all. They feel the same thing you do. That same sense of self-judgment that first and very often says, 
I don't belong here. But listen to Paul's answer to this. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Do you notice that Paul does not answer shame with high self-esteem? Oh, you should feel good about that. You should be a foot. Your foot's important. That is not his answer. Neither is his answer, well, if you don't like being a foot, then, then be, a, be an eye. Be a hand. You can be whatever you want to be. Isn't that what we told our kids? Which was always awkward, by the way. Like, you know, for my family, if you wanted to be an NBA star, what am I supposed to say? Uh, sure, good luck with that. <laughs> but we did, right? Which of you told your daughter, well, honey, you can't do that because you're a girl. We don't do that anymore. No, no, no. It's all about making you all equal. That is not the answer that Paul gives. It's not the church answer. That feeling of, of shame that says, I don't belong because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. If you say that, he says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. That's a different answer. In other words, it, you don't belong here as part of the body of Christ because you feel like you belong here. Whether you feel like it or not, you belong here. You belong to us and we belong to you if Christ is in you. And it kind of doesn't matter if you feel like you don't belong. And you'll feel it at different points. I, I, I felt it particularly. I taught Sunday school for years. And, and occasionally I'd, I'd teach on marriage. And I'm not kidding. Virtually every time we're driving to church and I'm going to teach on marriage, my wife and I would have the biggest blowout argument in front of the kids. Thank you. And I would arrive at church thinking, I'm a fool. I don't belong in this position at all. It took me years to realize that that was exactly what Satan would want me to say. He wants me to focus on me. He wants you to focus on you. Maybe you don't belong here. The answer is not you should think higher of you, but that you should listen to the Spirit of Christ in you who tells you, no, no, you, are, you belong here. This is part of my body and you are part of me. Look at verse 17. The other answer is that if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them if he chose. As If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The body of Christ is not about you. It's about us. It's about Christ in us. And we arrange together to accomplish his work. We come to church and essentially all the puzzle pieces are here. We just don't know which ones they are, and we always have a tendency to shape ourselves into a piece that we're really not. We are all that's needed here to accomplish what Christ has for us as long as we know that it is about Christ and his work in his body. So what's the other force that tends to break us apart? Well, it's the other side of it. There's shame, but then what really is underneath that is pride. If shame is the voice that says, I don't belong here, Pride is actually the voice that says, yeah, you don't belong here. And that happens in churches. It's a stunning to me how often uh, individual ministries, individual churches will still present the message of go it alone. That essentially we need to do this ourselves and mostly it comes from the kind of view that uh, this person or that person is not needed. Again, the answer to that is not what you might expect. Uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Individuals in the body of Christ are not determined by their usefulness. 
You come here, you don't know what your usefulness is. We have ways here, classes that help you to discern your gifts. By the way, spiritual gifts have also been kind of turned around. I ever heard someone say, well, I need, I'm going to find out my spiritual gifts. They're not your gifts. They're your gifts to us through you. They're Jesus' gift to us through you. It's not your gift. It's like my grandson who could, couldn't help himself at my granddaughter's uh, birthday parties, like wanting to open. It's not yours. It's for us through you. And your gifts uh, are, are, will be determined when you get here. It's not about whether you're useful. It's who you are, and you are part of us. And finally, verses 22 and on, he talks about the parts of the body that seem weaker or indispensable. And again, it's interesting that he gives a different answer than we're used to. You see, in a, in a culture about self and about individual, you're not supposed to say that anyone's weaker. We're all fine, all the same, all equal. Paul just plows right into it. He makes the analogy that some parts of the body are weaker, some of them are unpresentable. Hey, hey, Paul, that's not nice. But in a unity, it's not about everyone pretending to be the same. There are weaknesses in the body. There are weaknesses, there are things that we have gone through that we need help with. There are some of us who don't have a problem with that, but definitely have a problem with that, and we all need each other. A body makes no sense to be determining uh, which part of us is, indis- is dispensable. There is no indispens- There is no uh, part of us that we uh, don't need. We don't have to cover our weakness because in unity, we care for each other. And finally, in verse 26, my favorite is, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Notice that he doesn't say we should suffer together. We should rejoice together. He's again telling the truth. We are one body. When some of us fail and go down in flames, it harms the work that we are all doing. And when we succeed, we all rejoice. It is not that we should be connected. We are connected. So I ask you, I'll finish where I started. What are you doing here? What do you think we're doing here? Are you here uh, because you think this is an American institution and this is part of being a good American? Well, number one, where is your time machine? Welcome, I didn't realize there was anyone left like that because that's not church. Are you here to be fulfilled? Are you here to get a kind of a spiritual nugget so that you can lead a, the better you? Well, that's not what we're doing here either. Let me invite you instead to, if you, are, if you belong to Christ, if he lives in you, then might I join in everyone here inviting you to come and be a part of this, be a part of the body of Christ. You cannot and must not do this alone. Christians that I work with over and over again suffer, they struggle up and down spiritually, and we all go up and down spiritually, but hugely because they're trying to do this by themselves. Come and be a part of what your part here is. We won't say welcome when you get here. We'll say, there you are. We've been waiting for you. This is your place here. It's not for us to decide whether you belong here. We all belong here because Jesus has made you a part of us. But if you whisper, well, wait a minute, I've got this, this kind of weakness. I've got this thing that I don't feel good about. I promise we will let you know, really, do you have that? Yeah, I know six other people that have the same thing. I have something different, very different. We all have our stuff. No one here has it together, but you don't need it together if you're a part 
of a greater unity that is the body of Christ. So I would ask you this week to look uh, in your prayer time and really listen for what the Spirit of Christ may be whispering to you. And try to ignore your own spirit that will tell you, I don't belong. I'm not sure this is a place for me. That's not Christ. But to pray about what part you would have here. And then keep your eyes open and listen for what opportunities that are here to serve, to be a part of what's going on here, to be a part of what we're doing here, which is just being the body of Christ. Join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us here, and I pray most of all that you would open our eyes to who you are in us and to who we are in each other. I praise you, Father, that you are loving and that you are purposeful in our lives, and I praise you most of all, Lord Jesus, that you have emptied yourself into us, that we might find fullness in emptying ourselves into you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.